You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. All right, man, good to see y'all again. We're going to continue on in this series, and we were going to finish this series up next week, um, but... God's kind of done some different things within me. So what we're going to do is we're going to finish this series up today. And then we're going to transition next week. And we're kind of doing something we've never done before. Is we're going to finish, kind of finish this series next week as we start another one at the same time. So it's going to be some kind of transition type deal. Um, But I just think that talking about God's will, moving into the story of the Christmas season, and it just goes hand in hand, right? Because as we're going to see, God's will was to send His Son Jesus on a rescue mission for us. And we're going to start talking about that even more next week. But so far in this series, we've looked at God's sovereign will versus His perceptive will. And we discussed what God's sovereign will means is that if He decrees it, then it's going to happen. There's a a necessary consequence to Him decreeing something. Such as, let there be light, and there was light. Like, it could not disobey whatsoever. But he also has what we call the perceptive will. And he says, hey, so this is my will for your life. However, you have free will to decide if you want to actually do that or not. So what we've been looking at in this series is how we can really live in the perceptive will of God because that's where we have some choices that we get to make in life. And I thought that We could end this series talking about what Jesus says is the most important thing in life. Because if Jesus says, hey, this is it. Like, this is it. If you really want to know it, here it is. I think that's important for us. Amen? Like, I want to know what Jesus says is it. Because I'm I'm always searching. How many of you went shopping Black Friday? Don't be ashamed. Man, some of y'all lying. But here's the deal. You went Black Friday shopping so you could find it, right? That one deal where it was listed for like $69.99 two months ago, and now it's listed at $99.99 with a scratch for $69.99. So you think you're getting a deal. It's the same price it was two months ago, but they got you. But you're looking for it. You want to find that deal. And man, let me tell you what. My wife thinks she found some deals Friday because my bank account showed that she was like, this is it. And she just kept going, this is it, this is it. So she found a lot. But in life, man, that's what we want. Like, we want to know, what is it? What is it? Because so often, we live this life and we're always searching for something. Like, what is our purpose? Why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? Am I making a difference? What kind of difference am I supposed to make? What kind of life am I supposed to be living? Am I supposed to be impacting people around me? How am I supposed to be impacting people around me? There's so many questions. And Scripture speaks to all of this, but man, it would take us years to go through every single part of Scripture and talk about God's perceptive will. So what I want to do is I just want to sum it up the way that Jesus summed it up because I think that he sums it up way better than I ever could. 
And what he does is he kind of he reflects back on a bunch of rules. How many of you like rules? No kids raise their hand whatsoever. And I get it, right? So my kids don't like rules. And actually, they, they rather disobey, like, really intentionally than follow a rule. And that's just how kids are. And really, if you think about it as adults, we don't really like rules either. There's just a lot of rules that we don't want to follow. 55 miles per hour, we don't want to follow it. And there's some, I know some of y'all in here, and y'all don't follow it. Right? There's some, there's some stop signs that mean stop. We don't like to follow those all the time, especially if you live in a neighborhood. It makes no sense to stop all the way at that stop sign. There's nobody there. You want to just kind of keep... There's just rules after rule after rule after rule. And we can look at Scripture and we see that in the Old Testament there were over 600 laws that they were supposed to follow. Everybody thinks about the Ten Commandments and that's good, but there were way more laws than that. And you start thinking about, man, there's over 600 of these suckers. How am I supposed to follow every single one of them? And this is what I want you to know. You can't. You can't do it. They couldn't do it. We can't do it. So what happens is Jesus would say, hey, so let's, let's kind of flip this on its head just a little bit. Because I can tell you this morning that if you really want to live in the will of God and you want to discover the will of God for your life, then just follow those 600 laws. If you could do that, man, then you will be living in the will of God. And you say, yeah, well, again, that's impossible, right? We can't even follow the Ten Commandments. There's definitely no possible way that we can follow the 600. But Jesus would say it just a little bit differently. In Matthew chapter 22, we see that people constantly are trying to trick Jesus into stuff. Because Jesus has come in counter-cultural to everything that's going on. Jesus shows up and says, hey, so I'm establishing something new for you. And all these smart people, all these educated people, all these people with these degrees are like, hey, so he doesn't know what he's talking about. So let's, let's test him. Let's trick him. Let's, let's try to get his words twisted up. And I don't know if you've ever tried to test Jesus before, but it doesn't work. Like I've been there. Like Jesus, if you could just do this then I'm going to do this, and then once I do this, you can do this. And man, we're, we're negotiating with Jesus. Some people have done that before. They've negotiated. And Jesus is like, hey, so I don't negotiate. You can keep trying, but that's just not how I work. And in verse 34 of chapter 22, it says this, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Now, really quickly, Pharisees, smart people, Sadducees, smart people, religious people, they know the Scripture, they know all this head knowledge type stuff. And it says that Jesus had just silenced some people. And I just want to give you some background. It has nothing to do with this, but I want you to know how He did that because this is, this is just how He answers people. Is they, were, they gave Him a scenario and said, so if this woman marries this guy and he dies and then she marries his brother and he dies and she marries his brother and he dies because that was the custom. She was supposed to have a kid to, to just keep on the family lineage. But if she has no kids, then who is she married to in heaven? That's the question that they asked Jesus. They're just trying to get something out of Him. 
And he says, hey, so you don't understand the kingdom of heaven. She won't be married to anybody. She's going to be so focused on worshiping Jesus that there is no marriage happening in heaven. Now, I don't want that to discourage you in any way, but I want you to know that that's how powerful God is. That when we get in the presence of God, that's what we care about. That's all we care about. So he shuts them down with that question. And then it says in verse 35, And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And as second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what I want to do really quickly is I want to give you three ways that we can actually live in God's will. Number one is this, to love Christ and others. To love Christ and others. And you say, man, that's pretty simple. I love them. But I want us to really break this passage down and see what it means to actually love God. Because I think a lot of times what happens is we often want what, what God can offer instead of just loving who God is. Because we see God as this big magical being that can give us a lot of stuff. And He can take care of a lot of stuff. And He can take away a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And I'm not saying that He can't do all of that stuff. But what I'm saying is we get in this emotional type of relationship with Jesus and say, hey, because He makes me feel this way, then I'm going to love Him. But here's the problem with that kind of love is that when He doesn't make you feel that way, then the love isn't the same. And you know that if you're married, then you understand this concept because we, we can't just have this emotional feeling with our spouse because we would love them one minute and the next minute we wouldn't love them so much. Right? I'm just giving you some, some personal examples from me. But no, so we choose to love someone because of who they are. We make a choice to love them. They make a choice to love us. And because of those choices, no matter what happens, we still love them. So what we do a lot of times as Christians is we want what God offers us, but we don't really love who God is. And that changes everything when it comes to following Jesus. See, I'm afraid that American Christianity is all about what we can consume and not about what we can offer back to God. And that's what it's become. And you can walk in church after church after church, and there's people who are sitting in chairs, sitting in pews, all over this country that are there so they can get something. And you know my heart is I want you to, to experience Jesus in this place. But man, I don't want your main focus to be, I can't wait to go to church so I can consume. We should say, I can't wait to go to church so I could give back to God what's His. And that's all of me. I can't wait to worship so I can respond to everything that God is. See, that's when our relationship with Jesus begins to change. When it goes from caring more about what He can give to more about who He is. And who is He? He is creator of the universe, bigger than you can ever imagine, but He's also 
so personal that He cares about each and every one of you. He cares about the details of your life. So if we really want to live in God's will, in His perceptive will, if we want to actually be in step and in tune with the Spirit, then we must love Christ and love others. But it doesn't just say love God. It says to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And then we see in Mark, He says, and also all of your strength. So what does that mean? What does it mean to love God in all those ways? This is what it means. We love God with an exclusive love. That, man, He's it for us. That we exclusively and only love Him. And you say, well, man, I'm supposed to love other people. But what happens is when He's our exclusive focus and love, then that love pours out to other people into every area of our life. We love God with a surpassing love. See, in Luke 14, Jesus talks about some stuff that's really, it's really controversial because He says, hey, unless you hate your father and mother, then you can't follow me. You can't be my disciple. And people are like, man, we're not supposed to hate. And kids in here, if, if, you're, if you're in here with your mom and dad, do not hate them, right? That's really, Jesus means this, that you should love me more than anything else. That all other loves in your life should really look like you don't love them compared to the way that you love me. It's a surpassing love because it surpasses everything else in your life. What happens for us is that we get a, a glimpse and a taste of the world and we begin to think that the world has what we need. We get this satisfaction temporarily from some things that the enemy is putting in front of us and we think, this is it, man. This is the life. Until we realize it's not. And if we want to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, then it's a love that's exclusive. It's a love that surpasses all else. We love God with an obedient love. We see in 1 John that it says this is the, the evidence of our love for Him, is that we obey His commands. It's an obedient type of love, not because we want to do, do, do. It's an obedient type of love because His love is overflowing out of us. And we begin to walk in step with Him. And we love God with a persevering love. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So we love God exclusively with all of our heart. We love God with a surpassing love with all of our soul. There's nothing that's more important than him in our life. Not our husband, not our wife, not our mom, not our dad, not our kids, not our friends, not our job. Nothing in this world, nothing surpasses our love for Him. We love God with an obedient love, with all of our mind. We make a conscious decision, a mindful decision to obey Him. And then with all of our strength as we persevere through the trials of life. And all of these flow together. So I think it's 
it's not fair for us to try to separate these into different categories. What happens is, what, what Jesus is saying is that you love me with everything that you are. It is a complete love. It's a whole love. Man, and I think so many times we miss this. And it all starts here. We, we've talked about this each week of this series is that the ultimate will of God is to reconcile all things back to Himself. The ultimate will of God is that no one would die without repenting and knowing who He is. The ultimate will of God is that you say yes to Jesus. But He gives you the choice to do that. And I'm afraid that a lot of times what we do is we say yes to what Jesus can offer, but we never in our life say yes to who Jesus is. And if we want to become the church, if we want to become the people that God has called us to be, if we truly want to live in His will, then we must love Him completely and wholly. And I think, man, and this is just my opinion, I think this is what we're missing in the American church. Is we're missing the fact that God calls us to die to ourselves each and every day to follow after Him. Because we're so concerned with everything else in this world. We care way more about everything else going on than we do about who God is and how we can faithfully serve and follow so we love Christ and others. And here's the others part, man. We can't love people correctly if we don't love God completely. It's just not going to happen. In your, in your marriage, in your relationship, in your parenting, no matter what, you can't love people correctly unless you love God completely. Because the love that comes from Him flows out of you to other people. Number two is this. If we want to live in God's will, we must lean upon wise counsel. Now, I don't know if you've ever told your kids this, if you remember hearing this as you were growing up. I, I not only heard this, but I got to witness this, you know, with my brother and even with me a little bit. But I heard this a lot. And you may not think this is biblical, but kids in the room, if your parents ever say this, I want you to know that it comes from the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And parents say this all the time, like, hey, you need to be careful who you hang out with because you will become who you hang out with. And, and kids, man, especially teenagers, we're like, that ain't happening. Like, I'm, I'm the leader of this group. Like, I'm not going to follow this person. I don't care about all that stuff they're doing. And I'm telling you that I've seen it. That bad company ruins good morals. It's biblical. It's true. So as we're, as we're really living life and we want to lean upon wise counsel, Scripture would tell us, hey, so get away from the bad company. If you really want to walk in God's will, you get, sometimes you have to change the community that you're in. Because if you want to do something that you're not doing, you have to do something that you're not doing. And I know it's really deep, and that's, that's really, y'all need to write that down. But the truth is this, 
if we really want to live in God's will as we love Him wholly and completely, we love others correctly because of that completeness of loving Him, then we lean upon the counsel of godly people. And if, if all we're surrounding ourselves with are people of this world, then something is wrong with our community. Now, I'm not telling you to, to not be friends with certain people. But I am telling you to not be friends with certain people. What I'm telling you is this, that there has to be a community of people around you that are going in the same direction. There has to be a group of people around you that care enough about you to tell you when you're going in the wrong direction. There has to be accountability around you. And you need that in your life to continue to walk in God's will. We must lean upon wise counsel. Proverbs 11:14 says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in abundance of counselors, there is safety. It's just smart to have smart people around you. There, there's just something about being able to, to text someone or to call someone or to shoot an email or whatever your preferred method of communication is and say, hey, so this is what I'm dealing with. What, what do you have to say about this? And you have this community of people around you that share some wisdom with you. And we've talked about receiving counsel in the past when we went through our Job series. I would recommend you go back and listen to that if you're interested in that. But there's, there's certain parameters that we look for as we receive wise counsel and as we give wise counsel. But one of the main ones is, does it line up with Scripture? We see in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Scripture is not just for us to pick up and read and say, man, this is a, this is a good story. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. You go back and read those 600 laws, you ain't going to be saying this is a good story. It's just not that interesting. That's just that's the, You go back to Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all that stuff, Maybe to you it's interesting, but it's probably not going to captivate you very much to read all about these laws and stuff. Because the Scripture is not just some interesting novel that we read. Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's, it's profitable. It's profitable, profitable to teach us. It's profitable for re reproof. It's, it's profitable for correction. It's profitable for training. It's not just some book that you buy and you put on your bookshelf and, man, you read it for in a year and it's over, man. That's not what this is. This isn't a Nicholas Sparks book. And I'm not hating on Nicholas Sparks, man. Notebook's my favorite movie. If you don't know, y'all can make fun of me later, but it's one of my favorite movies. Never read the book. Movie's better to me anyway than books. So... What I want you to know about Scripture is this, is that this is the, the voice of God. Right? This is it. This is God-breathed. And because it's God-breathed, if you want to know what God has to say, then you, you use this. This is His Word. This is what He has to say. So as we lean upon wise counsel, we lean upon people that can give us some wise counsel and some godly counsel. But we also lean upon Scripture as we seek to live in God's will. Number three is this. If we want to live in God's will, we look 
at our circumstances. And we sang about this today. That hey, the battle belongs to God. But this is what happens is so often we use our circumstances as an excuse not to do what God's called us to do when God is rearranging everything, all the circumstances, to springboard and propel us into His purpose for our life. But we get so caught up in the circumstances, and again, I want to validate to you that your, your feelings, your circumstances, they are real, they do matter, and I do care about what you go through in life. But what we can't do, and what we so often do, is we use our circumstances as an excuse not to do what God's called us to do. And when we begin to, to do that over and over and over, it becomes really easy for us to say no to God because we've been doing it over and over and over. And I'm not saying that you have to, you have to suppress all your feelings and all the circumstances. What I'm saying is look at your circumstances and see what God is doing in your life. In Acts chapter 16, there's a story and the Spirit shuts these guys down from going to preach in certain places. And in verse 6 it says, And then they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, this is what they concluded. Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the context of what happens here. They want to go somewhere and preach. They get shut down. So they try to go somewhere else to preach. They get shut down. Paul has a dream that a man saying, hey, come to Macedonia and preach. So they conclude, because of the circumstances, because they're looking at what's going on, hey, well, God wants us to go to Macedonia. So that's where they go. And man, the, the, the futures change because they go to Macedonia and preach. Because they look at their circumstances and see that God is leading them to some destination, to some purpose. Now, I'm not telling you that you're going to have a dream and that you're going to know exactly what it is that God wants you to do. I have a lot of dreams, and they're usually not even close to what God wants for my life. It's usually Ashley being really mean to me, and I wake up mad, and like, why'd you treat me like that? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And we get in this big discussion about how the dream's real, and man, it's a lot. Y'all pray for us. But if we look at our circumstances... And we realize that, man, so here's some things that I'm going through in life. What is God trying to do through these circumstances? How can I continue to walk in His will and to live out the purpose that He has for my life? How is He rearranging all of these different things that I think are really bad and they really hurt and I really don't understand them, but I know that He's working. 
I know that he's working. I believe that he's working. And I want to continue to walk in his will. So what can I do? How can I see it? And it all goes back to if we're loving God completely and wholly, then we begin to see these things more clearly. And we have to get to a place in our relationship with Jesus where we're not just consuming what we can consume, but that we're actually following after Jesus. That we're denying ourselves, that we're taking up our cross daily following Him. Man, I don't want us to be a church full of people that on the outside proclaim Jesus and on the inside are so far away from Him that we can never be living in His will. No, I want us to be a church full of people who on the outside proclaim Jesus, but on the inside we're also putting on display the gospel of Jesus. I want us to be true disciples of Him. As we close this morning, I want you to, I want you to know that the ultimate will of God is, is for you to be reconciled back to Him. He wants us. He says, hey, all of these 600 laws can be summed up with loving me with everything that you are loving other people. But there's, there's something else, right? Because if you want to know what you're supposed to do as a Christian, what your purpose is, God makes it pretty clear. Jesus says, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to go out and I want you to share the gospel with people. We call it the Great Commission. He commissions His followers to go out and share the gospel with people. So if nothing else, living in the will of God is loving Him with all that we are. Loving people correctly because we love God completely. It's leaning upon wise counsel, the counsel of other people, the counsel of Scripture. It's looking at our circumstances and knowing that God's working and that we're still living in purpose. And it's also going out and sharing the gospel. That doesn't mean that you have to go out and you have to lay out this long plan of salvation with people. No, what Jesus meant is that I want you to live your life in a way that people know that you're following after me. I want you to love me in a way that people see that there's something different about you. I want you to love people in a way that people see that there's something different about you. The Great Commission isn't that you go and preach the gospel to people. The Great Commission is that you share the gospel with the way that you live, and if you have the gifts, that you share the gospel in a way of, of a teacher or a preacher, or just somebody talking. And I don't want you to ever think that there's no purpose for your life. Your purpose is to glorify God. Your purpose is to love Him completely and wholly. I want today to be a day where someone in this room realizes that they've been just trying to consume all that God can offer and they haven't really been loving God for who He is. Because I want you to know that I used to be in that place. And I used to be in a place where I wanted all that God could offer me. 
And that's what I cared about more than anything else, is what he could offer. And there was a moment in my walk with Jesus where something just happened. He said, hey, man, you're missing it. You're missing the mark. You're missing, you're missing your purpose. You're missing the will that I have for your life. The will isn't that you get all this cool, fancy stuff from me. No, the will is that you get me. I get all of God. Not all of what He gives and what He offers. No, I get all of who He is. And I'm, I'm telling you and I, I'm pleading with you this morning that that's the place that you need to be in your walk with Jesus. Because it changes everything. When He becomes the one thing that drives everything, your life is completely different. And stop focusing on consuming. And focus on loving Him for who He is. And understanding that you get not all that He brings, but you get all that He gives you all of himself. And we're so stubborn and we're so selfish that we barely give him any of us. He doesn't just want to be your savior, man. He wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be the one thing that drives everything. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.